Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 82. Uh, good to be back, everybody. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone for your patience and kind words while I was on my hiatus, and there was no sh- there was no More Than One Lesson at all. Uh, there were episodes of Battleship Pretension that I was not on, but th- this, cold turkey, for a whole month. And so, um, so yeah, and, and having come back to Battleship Pretension, people have been uh, very nice about saying that they missed me, which it's always nice to know that you're missed. But uh, anyway, um, <coughs> I wanted to say a couple of things off the just uh, at the top of the show before we welcome in our co-host. We'll get to him in a second, so he just needs to be quiet. Uh, okay. Okay. So first thing I'll say is um, okay. Yeah. All right. So, a friend of the show and former guest, uh, Will Gray, uh, as I have said in the past, he is, uh, he has cancer, he is very sick, um, and he is uh, not doing well. He is, as many people, uh, the word that I've been told to say is declining. Um, It's, it's not good. I've, I've gone to visit him and, and it's, it's very rough, um, and so I wanted to let you know a few things um, as far as what you can do. Um, you know, if you if you live other places, there's only so much that you can do to help. But uh, if you go to morethanonelesson.com, on the side there will be a, uh, a little button that says Help Will Gray. You can click on that. That will take you to the, the website about how he and his wife Angie are doing. Uh, and you can donate money. I recognize that money's not going to solve all their problems, but the the various things that he's doing, he's you know he, he's eating various types of uh, special food, and he's on he's on a lot of medicine and stuff, and it all costs money, obviously. And so, anything that you can give would be greatly appreciated by Will and Angie. Um, and beyond that, really, the only thing that you can do is pray. And there might be another minisode, a non-movie-related minisode, sometime in the future regarding this, because I know that I myself tend to get very cynical and very pessimistic about the idea of prayer, about the idea of God healing people. Um, and uh, I just I just naturally assume it won't happen. And so that's something I have to fight within myself. And so... Uh, Part of that, for me, involves uh, prayer and just praying that God softens my heart and helps me to realize that he is indeed a God of miracles and can heal people even when it seems like they are beyond help. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry to start everything off with that, but uh, any money you can give and your prayers would certainly be appreciated. So, uh, moving on to something slightly less uh, sad. 
Uh, Reed Lackey, who has been a previous guest uh, as well and uh, occasional blogger for the site, he is doing a series right now on his uh, 10 favorite movies of all time. And we are releasing new entries uh, every two days. So I so this will be going up on the 8th, it looks like. And so there are, I think, th- three or four uh, entries already right now. And so you can go and read about uh, his 10 favorite movies of all time. So uh, once again, I'm sorry to start on such a down note, but it's something that uh, that is very important to, to me. And so... Uh, I will now welcome in somebody whose voice you haven't heard in a month, along with mine. It's my co-host, who is getting ready to jump onto the mic right now. His name is Josh Long. Josh, how you doing over there? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize I was on this episode. Hey, everyone, how's it going? Well, you better be careful with that tone, because the epi- episode hasn't really started yet. Which tone? Good night, everyone. Okay. You know what? I think I'm going to take another hiatus. I think you have driven me to it. Um, so, yeah. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing all right, you know. A little this, a little that. Okay. All right. What are you, a drug dealer? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Just... let's, not, let's, not put a, let's not put a name on it. Okay, let's fair put enough. a label on it. Yeah. I see myself more as a, as a renaissance man. I make a lot of deals. <laughs> people get helped out. I'm just, yeah. I'm just helping people. I deal in drugs. That doesn't make me a drug dealer. Um, so I love that you can you can get away with anything as long as your as long as your excuse is that you just wanted to help people. Is that how that works? That was uh, the uh, the defense that the woman from Vera Drake used on the stand. She was like, "I just wanted to help young girls." Never so, saw well, that movie. Well, you killed several of them instead. Oh man, that movie just became way more relevant. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Uh, now, Josh, during the month that we were off... Yes, sir. What have you been up to? Well, a little of this, a little of that. Aside from that, but like, <laughs> I, like aside from the your real income. Right. Your front job, which is, uh, you know, assistant directing and that right. sort of thing. Uh, what have you been up to with that? With that or besides that? With that. Oh, with that. Um, did, I do the, did I do the Christmas movie? Was that... That was before we did I think the that hiatus. was before. I think uh, you worked last week. Last week I was working on a short film. Yeah. Um, which is called The Adventures of Don Juan and Don Two. <laughs> should be a lot of fun. That's pretty awesome. Um, that one, uh, I'm not sure where people will be able to see that eventually, but uh, hopefully before too long it'll be out there at festivals or on the internet or somewhere like that. And, and, and we'll link to it, it when the time comes. We should. It's... it's uh, it, I think it's going to be quite enjoyable. Already, I'm enjoying that title. To See, be honest with you, great? right? <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of clever little jokes in that. It, it's very it's one of those comedies that uh, I don't know. I felt like it was a very balanced kind of uh, uh, adventure comedy. You know, mm-hmm. like I feel like that's a genre of stuff that we see, but sometimes it's it goes either too much one way or too much the other. Yeah. Um, but I felt like it was a pretty good balance of it. It remains funny, but doesn't get too ridiculously silly there's a couple of little ridiculous things but they're like they're, they're good it's good stuff so you, silliness is not a doesn't it's have not to be necessarily a, dirty word. a bad thing you know if you earn it then it's fine yeah but um okay so that is the adventures of don juan and don two just wanted to say it again <laughs> just because it's fun and so we'll we'll let everybody know when that uh when that becomes available so all right 
So let's just jump right in. Now, the last episode, which had a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, which, by the way, I got a lot of nice uh, feedback from from you guys, and uh, thank you for that. Um, it was a nice note to go out on. But um, but we're back now with a movie that you probably haven't seen. So here we go. Um, it is <laughs> you a, might uh, have. You might have. It's. I talked about it a lot on, on my other show. It's one of my ten favorite movies of uh, 2012. Here's what we can say. If okay. you have seen it, you win. I guess so. How's that feel? Because you've seen the movie or because they can listen to this? Because they're talking about both. Oh, all right. Yeah. Which one's the the prize and which one's the bonus? Um, I think they'll know. Yeah. Oh, no question about it. <laughs> so, um, so the movie that we're going to be talking about is a documentary called The Queen of Versailles. And it was directed by Lauren Greenfield. And it is... Well, you know what? I'll just we'll 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 jump into uh, the summary. Uh, I did not have time to write the summary, so I lifted this one off of the IMDb. I apologize. I will uh, I will cite that it was uh, written by Kenneth Chisholm. And so, um, Josh, do you want to read that summary there? I do desperately. Oh man, I didn't know how much my absence really affected you. You know what? I've just been reading summaries to myself. In my living room, and I'm like, no one is getting these. They're not going anywhere. You could always use the internal mic on your computer, but that's bad. It's hollow and tinny. That's true. No, thank you. Then I could just post them online. I could just make YouTube videos where I read summaries. <laughs> that would be such a wonderful piece of performance art. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I'd have to wear a mask or something, though. Yeah. If you're going to see me. Yeah. And do, like, just a weird voice thing and yeah. just... But it's... But there's nothing weird about the summaries. They're just straightforward. You have to think of someone who would never read summaries and then just do that voice. Oh, man. This thing writes itself. It's <laughs> If you're not working on this project within three days, I'm going to be deeply disappointed. There's going to be a hundred of them next week. Awesome. Um, all right, here we are. This is the summary of The Queen of Versailles. In 2008, the Siegel family was top of the heap with... The wealthy and politically influential David Siegel running the successful Westgate Resort's timeshare business. To enjoy their good life, he and his engineer-turned-beauty-queen trophy wife, Jackie, were building the largest single-family private home in America. Suddenly, both the U.S. economy and and Westgate were rocked by the devastating subprime mortgage collapse. In the new economic reality, with the business teetering on ruin, we follow the Seagulls as they struggle to scale down their grotesquely ostentatious lifestyle. For this overprivileged family, accepting that situation proved a dispiriting struggle, even as their unfinished dream home became a monument of their superficial values. All right. Now, the reason that I picked that summary and not others is because there's a little bit of judgment in there, uh, even as the person just trying to sum up the film. (laughs) So, um... And that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, this is a documentary about uh, very rich people who suddenly are not as rich. <laughs> They're not in any danger of losing all their money. They're not in any danger of, uh, of being kicked out of their home. They just won't be able to finish and move into their giant, insane home. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I watched this movie very casually. I think a friend suggested it, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, I threw it in and was blown away. Uh, it was incredibly, I found it to be incredibly enjoyable, but I also found it very insightful. Mm. And uh, the movie, as far as its general tone, it kind of zigs when you expect it to zag, as, th- as even this um, summary shows. 
with a movie like this, you expect it to be about all oh, these rich, out of touch people who are what is it? Grotesquely ostentatious. <laughs> um, you expect it to just be condemning of them. And I think it's condemning of certain aspects of them and certain mm-hmm. philosophies they might have, but it actually has a tremendous amount of sympathy for them. And at the very least it wants to show them as they are. And it would be very easy for the film to have edited the, the portrait of these people to make them just monsters and mm-hmm. just ridiculous in every sense of the word. And the fact that it doesn't shows tremendous rest- restraint and I think humanity on the part of the filmmaker, Lauren Greenfield. But we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Josh, what did you think? I enjoyed the film. It, it, one thing I always like about documentaries and, and not all documentaries, but there are several where the documentary just because of the sequence of events had to have started out as one thing and then become another thing. And that's that has to be what this one was because they were making the documentary before the uh the financial crisis in 2008. Right. So it was probably just a documentary about the largest single family private home, is that what it's called? Largest single family private home in America. Yeah. yeah. Um uh so it was probably just going to be about how crazy that was and and what it turned into, but then uh all these problems happened and then it's more about that and how that affects their family and not even just how not having the house affects them, but, uh, how the, how the financial situation affects them. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I do like when a, uh, and this can happen with documentaries. Um, a good example of a mo- is a movie called overnight. Um, anybody, did you, did you ever see that? No, I know about it, but okay. I've never seen it. Well, um, it's you know it's basically very similar to this it's documenting incredible success and then that success falls flat in some way or a thing or it starts to decline and then um the filmmaker rather than say well i guess i won't be able to make this movie i wanted to make instead says well, maybe let's keep these cameras rolling i think this is a i think we got this um and so uh Excuse me, and so I it, it I think it shows a re- just a really good instinct uh, on the part of Lauren Greenfield, and so, um, so the I mean the story is is basically what the summary says. It's just uh, you see it starts out as a portrait of this family, and you think they're kind of silly, um, and while it does while while it does seem like it's it's a portrait of the family in general and, and David and Jackie, it really does focus in on Jackie specifically. It's more her story than anybody else's. Well, I think it's part, part of that is because she is more friendly to the cameras. Like uh, there is, there is this aspect of it that I, I can't decide whether I like or not. Um, where Jackie almost sees it as if she's in a reality TV show. I feel like she treats it that way. She definitely plays for the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, she does what she can to accentuate the good things about herself. Um, and I'm not saying that because I think she's a terrible person or anything like that. I, I But I do think... I'm not sure if it's on purpose or not. I feel like the film is, is tilted towards her mm-hmm. um, rather than David. And yeah. <laughs> almost like... <laughs> almost like the film has a personality of its own because David is relatively friendly to, to the film early on, 
but not completely cooperative, whereas she loves every moment of it. And I think she loves every moment of it, even when it goes into, even when things don't go so well with them. Whereas David, on the other hand, doesn't seem to want to speak to the cameras anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, there's also an interesting, and I guess this sort of speaks to who Jackie is as a person, is that David is, of course, I think 20, 30 years older than she is. Yeah. And... I mean, he's in his 70s, um, maybe even 80s. I think he's in his 70s. I think he's in his 70s. Um, as as the movie is going on, and she's, you know, in her 40s, and hmm. and she's an energetic woman, and and she's, you know, very attractive, and they've been married for years, so she was even more attractive as she was younger. She was a beauty queen, and, you know, and her story is already interesting, but I'll get to that in a second. But one thing that I find interesting is that he... I'm sure he cared about her and, and probably still does. You know, that's the problem with talking about a movie like this is you wind up speculating on people's lives. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I'd prefer not to do, but such is the nature of the film. But, um, but yeah, when their marriage started, like he really was, you do kind of get the impression he was sort of the typical millionaire billionaire that like, I want an attractive woman by my side. And so, you really get the impression that she was meant to be a trophy wife. Yeah. She's but not she, his first wife either. Right. Yeah. That, that makes a difference as well. And so you really get the impression that's, that's how things were supposed to be mm-hmm. trophy wife, but she's not that type. She knows what she's supposed to be, but she also wants children. Mm-hmm. He is in his seventies. He does not <laughs> want to have children. Meanwhile, they have many, many children <laughs> and it's just, and that's the thing is like, she wants to do these things and it's, and one could say, oh, she's kind of a spoiled brat and she's giving him whatever she wants. But that's not actually the case because there are times when he'll throw kind of a, l- a little tantrum and she will call him out on it. She'll say, you, you shouldn't do that. Like, that's not appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And accountability is not something that a trophy wife often does. That's not something that that's not their role. And mm-hmm. so she does show that she is more than that. Yeah. Um, and so already just in... in the the compl- like showing that aspect of their marriage you you get a sense that the filmmaker wanted to explore the complexity because of course it would have been able to you know cut out everything where she confronts him and just make her be like yes dear and no dear like because yeah. there are times when she is like that when things are going great mm-hmm. and so you know i think this is one of those movies that i know it sounds somehow counterintuitive that like so much of so much of what I like about it is the choices the director doesn't make, hmm. um, because in it, almost inevitably, inevitably those choices are the easier choices, hmm. and so. Um, but yeah, and so it's just a film that I, I feel like takes people that would normally be very easy to explain, and shows that no, they're they're really not. This woman. It's like it's like oh she was a beauty queen and now she's married to an old guy. Yeah, I got it. Then you realize that she in in fact got an engineering degree. Yeah. Before becoming a beauty queen. Yeah. Because so clearly she's smart. She's yeah. very intelligent and she made the choice to become a beauty queen instead of being an engineer because she talked to people after she got the the degree. Mm. Um she talked to people who were engineers and they just seemed miserable. And she decided, I don't want to be that miserable. I don't want to do that. I'm going to do something else. So she goes and 
realizes ah, I'm going to be a beauty queen, and she is, mm-hmm. and she just does it. And that's such a <laughs> such a fascinating choice. And some people would say it's a shallow choice, um, and maybe it is, but it is her choice all the way. She and you get the impression she could do. She probably could do almost anything she wanted. Mm-hmm. She kind of has. She has the smarts and the will to do that. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I and she's not. At times she's kind of laughable, and at times she's kind of silly. And she does have a, a kind of a spoiled quality to her. Yeah, and I, I think one of the. That is one of the almost messages of the film is that once you have a certain amount of money, you lose a little bit of touch with the rest of reality. Yeah. Like you can create this insulated reality around yourself and then, um, yeah, can't, can't necessarily function properly in the rest of the world, which I mean, I guess I have to say that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, to, to be out of touch with other people is, is certainly a bad thing. To not follow society's sets of rules isn't necessarily a bad thing. So, right. like, in the sense that she lives in a world where if she wants something, she just has it. Um, I don't feel like that makes her a bad person it, because she is used to living in that type of world. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's very, it's, it's very interesting. It, it's just kind of hard to understand. Yeah. And I think there's a, from, I mean, from since I first got into movies, I've always been fascinated at the, the depiction of rich characters and what, and the price that that kind of thing exacts on your soul because, um, is a Christian podcast. I don't literally mean soul. I just mean your personality and, and how you identify yourself and that sort of thing. Um, because, you know, for, for years, my favorite film was Citizen Kane, but then I also saw stuff like uh, Sunset Boulevard and There Will Be Blood and movies about characters who are, ju- who are so rich that, like you said, they, they are no longer accountable to our rules, mm-hmm. you know? Um, at the end of Sunset Boulevard, Norma Desmond is definitely going to jail, but still, like, they just, they are, una- they're not accountable to us. Like, you know, you and I are accountable to most of the people in our lives because we need to be. We need something from them, like we might need, you know, we might need a job or money or, you know, oh, I need to buy groceries, so I'll go to this this place and uh, and I can't act however I want, otherwise they'll eject me from the store. Yeah. But... If you have, frankly, like if you have enough money, you can kind of act however you want and they'll be like, I just got to get their money. You know, like they, they're willing to put up with it because they stand to benefit a great deal from it. Whereas people don't benefit much from knowing you and I, right? <laughs> Not at all. I'd Not say maybe all. the opposite. <laughs> yeah. We are kind of a social, a social leech yeah. on people. Like a black hole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a black hole. Exactly. Thank you, Josh. That's why you're here. <laughs> Anyway, so um but that that I feel like that raises another point which is that really anyone can be that, I think. Yep. Um because I can go to the grocery store and just be a total jerk to everybody and it's uh they don't have to be nice to me. They probably still will be if they're if yeah. they're good employees. Um but I feel like anyone can have that attitude and yeah. it, it may be true that just being uh, being more wealthy just kind of uh, inflates a lot of things about your personality. 
That's that's one of the things I like about There Will Be Blood is mm-hmm. that the character is already misanthropic and a loner and does not care about other people, but he has to deal with them. He's right. required to deal with them. Then he gets insanely rich and then cut to like what 10, 15 years later, the third kind of the third act of the film and you realize, "Oh, like he's always been like this, mm-hmm. but now he can be that." Yeah. In all his glory cuz to engage with society it means that there will be some sometimes people say like you can't do that mm-hmm. and he's removed him he's removed people from his life and removed himself from anybody that might say that yeah and so um including you know his own his own son eventually mm-hmm. who says i want to go do this and he's like all right you're you're out of my life cuz uh you're saying something i don't like <laughs> and so um so i'm yeah so yeah it's that's the thing is the film really does it is it is funny at times it is sad at times it's it's always interesting but it does kind of get you wondering about the nature of wealth and what that can do to a person does it like it can enable you to do whatever you want but who knows maybe somebody wants to do what just wants to do charity work Mm-hmm. And gives the vast majority of their money to charity, and some and some people do. I mean, some yeah. people with tons of money start charities, and that becomes their life. You run a nonprofit that uh, you yeah. know helps, you know, do any number of things. Um, and uh, I don't feel like I don't feel like it. It presents that wealth changes Jackie at least into a bad person. We don't really ever talk too much about. They talk a little bit, but there's not a whole lot that goes into what David was before he was rich. Right. Um, but uh, the film at least portrays Jackie in a way that she she has a lot of good uh, good qualities to her. She, she seems to have a good heart to her. She wants to yeah. help. She wants to help other people in in some ways. Uh, she helps a friend mm-hmm. like to to pay off her uh, her house loans. Um, yeah. Um, she kind of starts a charity of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this goes back to the whole thing of the the question of reality in a documentary. Perhaps she's she's in a movie and feels like the world is watching her, so she right. needs to do these things. So they may not be entirely gen- genuine, but at least the ge- if we're talking about the Jackie that we see in the movie that may be a character and not a person, yeah, that's at least what we can say about the character. Yeah. And I do think that, like... And that's it's it is hard to know because and that is that is a I wouldn't say a cynical point of view, but like in our because in our reality show world where there's the real housewives of everywhere yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I, I watch two reality shows. I watch Survivor and I wa- and I watch The Amazing Race. Now, admittedly, those are competition reality shows. Yeah. But nonetheless, like people still it has become fascinating because. This season of Survivor, a lot of people, it's it's fans versus favorites. So there's two tribes, and one tribe is comprised entirely of people that have been on the show before. So they come on, and and I've yes, all right, I listen to a podcast about Survivor by <laughs> that features former Survivors analyzing current Survivors. Okay, <laughs> so it's something I'm interested in. But one thing that's interesting is and both in in people's analysis and also what the current contestants themselves say is they don't want to be like they were on their first season. Mm -hmm. 
not necessarily that they were playing terribly. Sometimes it's that, but they were aware of the the public fallout and how were how they were perceived, and they are not going to make that mistake again. So hmm. they could have played their game just fine and then made one mistake, but that mistake defined who they were to the point that their cha- like there's one there's one guy who on Survivor this season who his whole his whole gameplay this time around is just to be quiet, lay low, and don't do anything. <laughs> Last time he like he played really well. He was a very sociable guy, so sociable in fact that he let himself get duped by uh, by these four women who he won uh, immunity and they convinced him to give it away, and then they voted him out. He, it was known. It is known as one of the, if not the stupidest moves in Survivor, and that is how he is known. <laughs> And it is clear he is so scared of making a dumb move again with the cameras on that he it's basically it's like it's like, well, I want I do want to be on Survivor because I might win a million dollars. But I also don't want to be on Survivor because then I'm in front of cameras again. So I'm going to do everything I can to not be on Survivor while still being on it. Like, that's kind (laughs) of how he's playing. And so there is this idea. So all that is to say. The camera being there and how you will be viewed publicly does make a huge difference to everyone except, I would say, the guy from Overnight. <laughs> he seems to not know that camera is there. It's, or maybe he does, and this is what his version of good is, which is insane. <laughs> but, so we've been talk- I've been talking about a lot of other things, but that's, that's another, asp- another thing that this movie brings up is what is real, what is not, and then like, well, the camera is on. You can take the pessimistic, cynical view and say she would never have done this if the camera wasn't on. Or you could say, hey, the camera happens to capture this person doing what they always what they would have done anyway. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Where and she I- plays certain things up for the camera, but I don't think the camera changes her nature. Yeah. I think I think the more uh maybe slice of life a documentary is the more the the more difficult it is to tell the difference between the the fact and the fiction in a person's um, personality or mm-hmm. or uh, yeah I guess personality is the word yeah. um, because I don't I don't like come out of say fog of war and be like no I don't know if McNamara was just playing for the cameras yeah um, there's a lot of other, a lot of ones where a lot of things are documentaries where it's about some kind of external event or something like that. Then um, you don't get that feeling as much, but a lot where they kind of focus on a person or, or people and the situation that they're in. That's, that's where I wonder that a lot, which is one of the things that I don't like about a lot of reality TV, specifically those types of reality television shows is that I feel like that's all it is, is people playing for a camera, like a real housewives show or a, um, even a lot of these business shows where they follow a business that does something like Pawn Stars or yeah, yeah. whoever the people who are that do cars or tattoos or something like that. Yeah. You, they're doing this They're doing this show probably mainly because they're going to get a lot of publicity out of it. They're yeah. going to get money out of it. And they're, they're doing whatever the film, the, whatever the producers want them to do. Yeah. Um, you hear so much about how much of those shows are fake. Yeah. Like, oh, I I I watched Pawn Stars for a while because there there is interesting elements to it, but it actually was so produced I couldn't I couldn't keep watching. 
I was in the pawn shop where that where they oh, really? filmed that in Las Vegas. You can buy anything with that one guy's face on it. I don't I don't remember what his name was, but I guess he's the one who's like the hit from the show. He's kind of a heavy set guy. I think yeah, he yeah. might be well, like right. a Pacific Islander. Oh, something yeah. I can't remember what he exactly what he looks yeah, like. Yeah, I can't to... remember. But they, they're all kind of heavy set guys. But this but, is yeah. the guy who actually isn't part of the family. I don't recall his name. Yeah, he has like a. I feel like he has a weird nickname. Like he does Chew or something like that. It's something like that. Yeah. Um, but like anything, it's like shot glasses, t-shirts, uh, canteen. They got like any number of things with his face on them. Mm-hmm. Um. Which kind of made me be like, no, I don't think I want to watch the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they're getting they're getting out of it what they what they can. And yeah. I'll say this: like one, the thing about Survivor is like after forty days of eating rice and beans and losing probably twenty to twenty five pounds, not getting any sleep because it's raining all the time. After a certain point, the people on there, I, I'm sure they're still aware that the camera's there, but. At that point, they're raw enough that I think they're just going to react how they're going to react. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's hardly slice of life because no, their yeah. circumstances are so different. And that's—I feel like you can almost compare stuff like Survivor and Amazing. You know what? The the uh, <laughs> a lot of the way that you you don't identify with people who watch and enjoy sports mm-hmm. and are invested in that. I feel like a lot of those people feel about those the same way you feel about Survivor. If that makes any sense, that it's awesome. Yes. <laughs> mm. And admittedly, it, well, and and there are there are, there are like contestants you root yeah for, you root for, but somebody? I do tend to root for the ones that are most like me. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> well, people root for the ones that come from the town that they're from. There, there is. I think there is a similar element to it because it is almost the coverage is almost like a sport, and there's always a competition oh, yeah. aspect to it. And um, you yeah. should watch Survivor. I think you'd enjoy it. This season especially is fascinating. I might. I don't know. We're going to do it, folks. Don't I don't worry. have. I don't have TV. So. So. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's true. Um, okay. Okay. A TV. So. Uh, so back to back to business, and I, I'm sorry for that uh, for that tangent, but that again, that is one of the things that a movie like this, and movies like, frankly, I do think the Fog of War. I think. I think McNamara knows exactly what he's doing. I think he's very media savvy, and I think he recognizes, I'm 85, I'm not going to have a whole lot of chances to rehab my image <laughs> and my legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel the same thing about, uh, what's his name, James Toback? Is the name James Toback's um, Tyson, which I actually oh, uh, yeah, yeah. which I actually covered many, many episodes ago, probably mm-hmm. three, four years ago. So, um, no, not four. But, uh, but yeah, and so... So this could be an example of that. And interestingly enough, David, who probably could try to use the camera to rehab his image, is not interested. And he actually does come off as kind of a jerk. Yeah. But at the same time, because he is kind of viewed, there's no question that if the film does take kind of the easy route, it's that we all need a villain, you know, in movies. And he has, he provides, he's kind of cold yeah and he's but he's also kind of sleazy at times and yeah he does provide a good villain and he's uh, (laughs) 
there's almost an element of taking advantage of him in that he's an old guy, and yeah. if you've spent a lot of time with people who are in their 70s or 80s, they don't have the same kind of filter that you and I would maybe have, maybe because yeah. they grew up in a different time, maybe because they just don't care anymore. Yeah. And they say things that it's easy for us to say, I can't believe you would say that. Right. So there's several moments in the movie when he says something and you're like, oof, that's... Yeah. It's, e- it's very easy to do that. And don't get me wrong, I don't think I would get along with him, and I think he probably is kind of a jerk, but you also do need to look... You know, we also do need... I think the film... I think it inspires us so much to see things from these people's point of view that when you when you think about it, this guy is in his 70s. He has many children where he was not expecting to have them. He wasn't anticipating that. And his business is starting to go down. Mm-hmm. Like, at a time when he wasn't expecting it to and when things were going great. And so, suddenly, at a time when he really could just kind of sit back and let the money come in, he now has to actively think and work on his business. And because he has to lay people off, he has to shut down, you know, offices and all that. And you get the impression that like, yes, it means that he makes less money, but I think he also genuinely, and Jackie certainly genuinely has a, uh, sympathy for the people that he has to lay off. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do care about that. Yeah. Um, and they are, you know, they do have to make cutbacks in their own life. Uh, certainly, they don't—they're not going to live in the biggest single-family private home in the in the in the country, which maybe one could say is not that big of a deal. But also, uh, they are kind of faced with—I'm not sure if I would say, as this uh, summary does—I don't know if I'd say they're they're faced with their superficial values. Um, I'm not sure if they if I'd say their values are superficial, but they did live an excessive lifestyle and suddenly that is coming back to kind of bite them. Yeah. And it's not merely they can't finish their home, now they have to sell it and they can't sell it because yeah. they're in the middle of a recession. And I don't uh, I think it's it's easy to assume that what it's about is is if you haven't seen the film which as as in depth as we're going, I feel like if you haven't watched it uh, at this point, I want to say you know just go back and and watch it first. Absolutely, you know, there's yeah. a lot more. I believe it is streaming online, so I think yeah. you can find it. Um, but if you haven't seen it, and and even just reading this, you might think that it's about the like them mourning over not being able to get this ridiculous gigantic house, right? And a lot of the pain or the problems that they're having in the film is, does not come from that. There, there is there is the pain of having to try and sell that house, but they're not like, woe is me, I can't live in the single, right. you know, the largest, <laughs> I'm going to have to read this off this every time, largest single family private home in America. Yeah. Um, so, like, that, that's not what their tragedy is, that they can't do that. Like, um, you could, in a lot of ways, again, if you were to look past the character of David in the movie and and see the real person of David, you really could see him as kind of a tragic character in that Mm -hmm. he has had all this money, but it has led him to be in a place where he's very unhappy with his life. He's unhappy with his business. He's, he seems to be unhappy with his wife and having all these kids around and all these dogs at times. They have a lot of dogs. Um, uh, he 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 lives in this world that is not really it doesn't seem like his ideal he even says like he's at one point doesn't he say like i wish i could just go and like live by myself and not yeah. have to deal with with all this stuff all this film. so he's he um 
you yeah. could see him as a tragic character. If the if the film was spun a different way, probably if he was younger and better looking and a little more affable, yeah. he might be seen as more of a tragic yeah. character. So, uh, yeah, and he, while he is a jerk, I mean, I think the film clearly view, sees that he is very unhappy, and now he takes that unhappiness and puts it towards others. I think, right, uh, including like his children, some of them grown. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he's. So I, I don't necessarily have a great deal of sympathy for him, but yeah, it's he's not a happy person, mm-hmm. and he did. Uh, I think he's done all the things that life has said: do this, and you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And now here he is, bearing the weight of all that and the consequences that comes from how he got it. Yeah, and he's not, and he's miserable. He wishes, you know, it's <clears throat> it's odd how how so many people would say, I wish I had a lot of money and then I could go and do this. He has a lot of money and he still wants to go and do this. Yeah. This thing, remove himself from his problems. Mm-hmm. And so, um, mo money, mo problems. That's what I say, Josh. <laughs> well, I think there comes this illusion of, from what you were speaking of, there's this illusion that if you have money, you can just do whatever you want. And that's not entirely true. Like, you see David, he spends a great deal of his time, especially when things start going downhill, sitting in this room that's just filled with papers and boxes and files and just going through things like imagine if that's your life you sit yeah. at home and you're stuck in that room taking care of business yeah <laughs> um, working overtime <laughs> <laughs> but uh but just to have that so the i think the illusion of uh there's an illusion that being wealthy allows you to be free from any kind of responsibility yeah which I, which is not the case. I don't. I don't think anything, short of maybe prison, <laughs> uh, relieves you of any kind of responsibility. And I think it's telling of people being crazy. You have no responsibility if you are uh, certifiably insane. That's true. But that doesn't seem like a good life either. Well, well also, it, it it can often be the case that in reality you have no responsibility, but you don't realize. But but. Uh, in your own mind, you do have some kind of responsibility to mm. this, that, or the other. That's true. Um, so mentally, it could be the same thing. Although, from a practical standpoint, that might not be. It's yeah. an, that's an interesting intellectual exercise. <laughs> yeah, and maybe one um, that we won't go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we don't have to. We, I'm sorry. We spent too much time on reality TV. <laughs> go on. But uh, just saying that, um, that that's something inherent in us that we want in people that we want to be free from responsibilities Mm -hmm. and i think that's more where our desire for wealth comes from like greed i think comes more from that from wanting to not have to do this or not have to do that um you know we don't get any inherent benefit from having piles and piles of money or even just from having a gigantic house it's it's kind of nice to have the house maybe but you still have a lot of things you have to take care of and i think it is you know it's uh i I think i've told this story on one of my podcast that uh there is a lot of joy in not having to do something um i remember the first when i was a kid (laughs) then this started young (laughs) this is something this is something i would do every time i had summer vacation the first day of summer vacation i would set my alarm for the usual time so that i could turn it off and go back to sleep (laughs) I would do that so I could just like it's like why not just let yourself sleep it's like I've got the rest of the summer to sleep mm. this is my uh, 
my passage to the West. Like this is, this is like, all right. Like I don't need to wake up clock. Shut up. I'm going back to sleep. And that's the thing is like having, having wealth, you feel like I don't need to do this other thing, Mm. but eventually summer vacation ends and you realize that, you might be free from certain responsibilities, but life itself has responsibilities. There are things that you're going to have to deal with, whether it be a crumbling marriage or, you know, that you your business going under, or as we'll talk about with a companion film, like the death of a child or mm-hmm. something like that. Like this is stuff that money can't save you from. And, and that's the thing. This goes, I want to say this two ways. One is if you are like, hoping to become rich thinking that all your problems will be gone then that is a flawed way of thinking but then at the same time if you if we who are not rich if we look at rich people and think ah they don't have any problems and we could use that and we look at that either with like ambition like oh i wish i could be like them or kind of a resentment like ah screw them they don't have any problems like well they do and they can uh, they might be better equipped financially to handle certain problems, but there are some problems that cannot be paid for. And I think I'll use that to actually get us into the companion film. Um, so the companion film for this episode is Ordinary People, May 1980, directed by Robert Redford, his directorial debut, hmm. written by Alvin Sargent. The film went on to win Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actor, and Adapted Screenplay. Uh, supporting actor for Timothy Hutton. <coughs> and uh, it's a film that I first saw when I was, uh, I don't know, probably in high school, and I f- loved it. I thought it was great. Um, when various, my, when my you know fellow film students talked about the 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 injustice of uh raging bull losing best picture to ordinary people i laughed at them thought that was that was you know ridiculous and as time has gone on by the way i i like raging bull is by far a better directorial achievement but ordinary people is still very solid it's still a solid movie yeah but but i i will say looking at it now and i had forgotten how it did i knew it won best picture but forgotten forgetting one that it was Robert Redford, and uh, two the specific awards that it won. It seems like yeah. a little bit of an Argo, doesn't it? <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. Uh, looking over the the script today, as I was doing uh, online, uh, it's a good script. It's oh, yeah. a very solid script, yeah, and yeah. Timothy Hutton deserves that Oscar all day long. Although one could say he's the lead, which mm-hmm. he is. But um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Really, I mean, director. I don't think it deserved director. In terms of director and picture, yeah, I think those specifically yeah. seem like it's it's Robert Redford. You know, like, that was the same year as The Elephant Man too. Hmm. So there there was some good stuff going on. Um, but you know, Redford was uh, Hollywood establishment, and yeah. hey, look at this uh, look at this successful bankable actor who is now making uh, who's now directing. Yeah. Watch out. And as time has gone on, I think he... I love Quiz Show. I'm a big fan of Quiz Show. Um, it is a good film. But I I can't think of any others of his that I really like. I don't have them in front of me. I know I know of one called Lions for Lambs that I do not like. Yeah. Uh, I think that is not very good at all. But um, He's got one maybe in theaters still now. Yeah, The Company You Keep, which yeah. I hear is not that good. Yeah. But, I heard um, it wasn't good and uh, bad timing. <laughs> Yeah, boy, oh boy. Now's not the time to uh, sing the praises of domestic terrorists. (laughs) (laughs) 
but uh, I hope I I sincerely hope that that gave him pause. Like I hope that he sat down wherever he lives and was like, okay, I should at least think about that for ten minutes. Yeah, it's like, well, it's too late to unrelease the movie, but maybe I'll use this opportunity to think about some of my philosophies. Um, but uh, okay. Yeah, so Ordinary People, uh, I don't want to go into a lot of detail about it, but um, it's about this, I would say, upper class. I don't know if I'd say they're wealthy, but they certainly have very wealthy tendencies uh, socially. I'd say I'd say they're not, like, extremely wealthy, yeah, but I think... They're not billionaires, certainly. I, th- I think wealthy is an appropriate word okay. for them. But yeah, and so they are... And in their sensibilities, they do seem to have kind of this... Uh, elite quality certainly the mother played by mary tyler Moore, wonderful performance by the way mm-hmm. um and uh and what and before the film starts it's basically this uh mother and father played by donald sutherland and mary tyler Moore, and then they have two sons and their sons were out boating and then a storm came and one and their older son drowned and the younger son, guilt-ridden, feeling that he should have been able to do something, even though he really couldn't have in that situation, um, the younger son has tried to kill himself uh, unsuccessfully and has spent some time in a mental institution and has just gotten out. That is all, that's everything that happened before the movie started. And I know some people would say, well, that's the movie. There's your movie right there. <laughs> but to me, that, and that's part of the brilliance of, and I haven't, I haven't read the, uh, the book, but that's, that's part of the brilliance of this story is knowing where to start it, which is the road to recovery and trying to re, you know, people who are, who they all live in the same house, but they couldn't be more disconnected from each other emotionally hmm. and, uh, and trying to, to, get back in touch with one another and, and that sort of thing. And so, um, and so that makes me think of kind of on the other side of the coin of that same theme is, uh, uh, into the bedroom is another film that in the bedroom, in the bedroom, excuse yeah. me. Um, the kind of the, the incident that could be the movie is the inciting incident of the film. And then it's yeah. more about, like you said, the, uh, um, road to recovery. Yeah. <laughs> but th- their approach is very different. Very different. Yes, yeah. indeed. Um, <laughs> Man, can you imagine? So, uh, <laughs> if Donald, Donald, Donald Sutherland's like, all right, it's time to take out the trash. <laughs> um, but, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's just, you know, from a filmmaking standpoint, it's it's fine. It it takes its time. It is, you know, Robert Redford, like, allows it to just move very slowly, you know, as kind of it really does feel like a movie about healing in every way uh mm. including its pace you know it's yeah. slow it's methodical and it does and i think it earns everything that it has everything that happens in the film i think it earns it because it takes its time to get there so um so if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it i'm not sh- i don't think it's a better movie than raging bull but i definitely think it uh deserved a uh, certainly supporting actor and uh, maybe best adapted screenplay as well. I can't think what was uh, also nominated that year. But um, anyway, uh, one of the things that, as I mentioned already, thematically is this is a wealthy family that, in many ways, you could look at them and be like, at the very least, it's just like it's like, oh, their sons died in a boating accident. Uh, their son died in a boating accident. You could look at them and be like, oh, their son died. Or you could be like, 
a boat <laughs> they've got a boat good for them i wish i had their problems you know but that's obviously i'm being facetious no one would say that but uh but yeah it's it's interesting that uh that the tragedy that befell them is something that happened very specifically because they were doing something wealthy mm-hmm. and uh, they were doing it wealthily <laughs> and so um so yeah the, one of the one of the things that i remember liking about this movie and have gone on to really appreciate about it is that I mean, it's called Ordinary People, and in some ways they're ordinary in that they have problems just like everybody else. Um, and But I think the title is somewhat ironic, because if you were to look at it at everything from the outside, obviously, you know, I mean, one son dies, another tries to kill himself. Like, that is a little bit out of the ordinary, slightly. But if you were to just look at the family before that tragedy befell them, um, I think you'd be like, oh... These people really don't have any problems. They're rich and they're happy and they're carefree and everything's going great. And then you discover that it is not going great. And what's more is that this tragedy reveals, you know, issues that the characters had with each other long before the tragedy occurred. And so that's one of the things that I like about the structure is, is it's not merely about this. It's about stuff that's been going on for years before this ever happened yeah and that that i think is the most interesting aspect of it to me that there's this i think probably redford would say it has something to do with um you know came out in 1980 might say it had something to do with kind of an american complacency you know Mm -hmm. an idea that uh everything's okay so we don't really need to talk about anything or Mm -hmm. something like that um because i feel like that is that can be a general American attitude of if everything's all right, just don't, you know, yeah. n- not realizing that there may be things underneath the surface that are problems yeah. and um, how something like this suddenly makes all that bubble to the top. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Mad Men and a lot of that, yeah. like yeah. The, the themes that it's exploring. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so what I, so to link these movies together, we have people that we instinctively would look at and say, they're great. Not that we think they're great people, but it's just like they're doing fine. You might say they're extraordinary. They're extraordinary <laughs> and they're queens of Versailles people. Anyway, right. so uh, so it's uh, so I would say, and and I hope I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I hope I'm not reaching too much. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and and I I touched on this months ago when we talked about struck by lightning that there are people in this world that it is perfectly okay to resent and to speak ill of and everyone will be on your side mm-hmm. um sometimes it's just a joke you can t- you can make jokes about lawyers and everyone will be like yeah i hear you um <laughs> or politicians it, there's mm-hmm. just certain things um and as time has gone on uh making jokes or maybe not even jokes, just saying very resentful, spiteful things about the rich is very accepted. I mean, you look at, uh, and I, I think I did it. One of the, my first minisodes was about this. You know, you look at like some of the, um, protests that happened like, uh, in Europe and you look at like Occupy Wall Street and, and that sort of thing. And just, a lot of it was kind of anti, some of it was like anti-capitalism, but there was a real just hatred, like really white hot hatred of the rich. And 
lest anybody think that I'm saying, no, the rich are great. I'm saying that basically it's neutral. I'm saying that, that money, how much money somebody has or does not have is, is neutral. And that um, from a Christian standpoint, <clears throat> there, there should not be any group that it is okay to hate. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you look in, if you look in the Bible, I mean, it talks about, um, you know, a culture that really hated lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors and, um, you know, like had no, like widows and orphans and that sort of thing. And just basically like if you were rich and if you were, you know, a, a Pharisee, if you held the law, like all these, all these certain things, if you did everything right, quote unquote, um, then the culture favored you and, it, and it did not favor the poor and the sick and that kind of thing. Um, and as time, and obviously like we are supposed to have a particular heart for the people that society has cast aside. You're, you know, uh, you know, drug addicts, you're, um, homeless, you're, you know, poor in general, uh, oppressed, whatever. Um, we are supposed to have a heart for those people, but I think as time has gone on, we have developed a heart for those people and have no sympathy at all for the rich. Mm. And I'm not saying give to r- charities that give money to rich people because <laughs> I don't think they exist um, unless they're corrupt. Um, but basically, it's like, no, no, no. It's It has to be all of them. You have yeah. to love everybody. It doesn't mean you have to like the choices people make, but you do have to love everybody, even yeah. the people that you think like they don't need my love they already have a boat you know or something like that <laughs> yeah well we we uh we like to look at the parts of the bible that kind of go with what we think or what uh what is in vogue today and mm-hmm. kind of play up those parts but if we're if we're talking about you know who jesus was kind to and spent time with and loved um people talk a lot about how he you know, hung out with the, the lepers and the prostitutes who were clearly lower class people. Mm-hmm. Um, but tax collectors is always lumped in there too. And they were wealthy people. They were the yeah. wealthy. They were now they were <laughs> wealthy and corrupt and they got wealthy off of the oppression of others. Right. Exactly. So, so like if you're wondering who, who that is today, that's like your Bernie Madoff. Like that's, so Jesus wouldn't only come out here. And if Jesus were to come here today, yeah. he wouldn't only spend time with, the, uh, you know, the homeless vets on the street corner, but he'd also spend time with the Bernie Madoffs. Like, yeah. Uh, the, Basically, anybody that any group would say, why is he hanging out with them? That's who he was. Exactly. Out people with. who would be marginalized for some reason or other. And we, be because he didn't show any kind of favoritism. Right. We we shouldn't have any kind of judgment about people based on how much money they have, whether that be yeah. how much they have or how little they have. Either one is is wrong because that's basing your view of a person on on their belongings. No. And I did want to say, like for example, you brought up Bertie Madoff. Now he was he's he wasn't merely a rich person. He right. also was a uh, you know thief and did and ruined people's lives so by all means you can judge that action as right, being right. wrong right and um, and that's in the same way that jesus didn't approve of the lifestyle of say a prostitute yeah um he maybe he'd say to them go and sin no more or something like that for example um so like even though there are a lot of 
I think it's key that some of the people that he he loves uh, that he extends love to are people who uh, are not only looked down upon because of what they have or don't have, but because of their because they did things that are wrong, even wrong by Jesus's standards. Right, and that doesn't mean he. Uh, it's, it's just just glosses over everything that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still there's still standards, and and uh, Jesus is God, and God is a you know God of righteousness, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know requires that. But um, so he doesn't he doesn't forget about all of that, but he still is able to love those people, and I, I feel like that um, that balance is something that is. is the church tends to swing wildly on one side or the other. Yeah. With that. There, yeah. There are plenty of churches that, uh, emphasize wealth as like somehow a, a tenant of Christianity that like, Hey, you're just not asking God for wealth. Yeah. That's why you don't have it. Or maybe he's punishing you somehow. It's like, well, that's hang on, slow down. <laughs> that's not true either. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then yeah, it, it sometimes in response to that, it'll swing the other way. I'll be like, you should just, you know, if you're not living a life of, of poverty. And by the way, I'm about to read something from the Bible that gives people that can, that could probably justify what those people say. Um, but I'll, which I will say right now, this is Matthew 19 verses 16 through 24. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, wait, if you want to enter life, keep the command, keep the commandments, pardon me. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so, that seems pretty cut and dry. Obviously, we should uh, sell all our stuff and give give the money to the poor. If we want to be perfect. If we want to be perfect. Um, And, uh, but of course, he doesn't require that of everybody. He does like he doesn't like if that's in fact what everyone is supposed to do, then he would have said that to everybody in the Bible. But he said to this guy specifically, or even he would have said it earlier on. Like exactly when when the guy asks, what do I need to do? He doesn't say sell your possessions immediately. He says, uh, I'm looking for it now. Obey the commandments. Yeah. Keep the commandments. He said, yeah. Yeah, he lists all of them and says, do that. And then the guy says, done, which is fascinating already. Yeah, there's so many. This this passage gets thrown around so much, and there's so much going on in it. Yeah. And a lot that we just can't know. Like, just from the things that the guy says. Like, when Jesus says, which commandments, or to keep the commandments, he says, which ones? Like, what kind of a question is that? Yeah. Which ones? Like, it either means that he thinks some commandments he doesn't need to follow, which is a strange thing to say, or even to think, or it means that he thinks that some are more important than others, which is also a weird thing to say. And mm-hmm. that I think says something about his heart. There's a lot, there's a lot going on with this guy. Yeah. As if to say like, be like, yeah, yeah. Commandments. All right. Seriously though. What do I really need to do? Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, I'm going, I'm about to quote something 
from uh, I like I like to think that maybe he like palmed Jesus a twenty when yeah. he said that he was like yeah but which one like, and he gave him a- yeah speaks very loud in front of other people he's like oh yes no the commandments I understand okay seriously look man to man come on murder got it what else um, and uh, so I'm about to quote something from Tim Keller's uh, King's Cross which I actually have not uh, read but I read a large passage in the in the book about this. Uh, this passage from the Bible, um, and it's passage is probably like three or four pages long, and so I didn't want to include all of it, so I just included a couple paragraphs. But it's very interesting what he has to say. Um, so he says, <coughs> "Excuse me." He says, "How does the man respond to Jesus' counseling?" He went away sad. The word "sad" translated here is better translated "grieved." He grieved. When Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man started to grieve because money was for him what the father was for Jesus. It was the center of his identity. To lose his money would have been to lose himself, to lose what little sense he had of having covered the stain. It's one thing to have God as a boss, an example, a mentor, but if you want God to be your savior, you have to replace what you're already looking to as a savior. Everybody's got something. What is it for you? And... I like that because it's you know there's a reason that God that that Jesus didn't say this to everybody who came to him. He said it to you know he said it to this guy because he knew who this guy was. This is a guy who identified himself this way. And the guy eventually decide realized like oh I can't do that because this because I value my possessions. I don't want to give any of it away. So you'd say like, oh, he's greedy, he's terrible, and you know it's hard for rich people to get into heaven. And there is something to be said for like, uh, you know, I've heard people say that like Christianity is the religion of the poor because it empowers them, it gives them something to look forward to. Whereas the rich, they're like, well, I, I've already got it, so problem solved. I don't need this. And so there is something to be said for that, and I think that's probably why he says that it's easier for camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. But one thing that you and I talked about uh, off mic is Jesus still talked to the rich man Mm -hmm. just as he talked to Zacchaeus that just as he talked to Mary Magdalene, like he still said like he, he knew this guy's heart. He knew who he was, but he still gave him the opportunity. Mm. He still said, you can do this. Now, he probably said annoying the guy wouldn't, but he still gave him that opportunity. And that's something I find fascinating. Not only did he continue talking to him, probably knowing what the uh, what the result was going to be, he talked to him, he gave him the opportunity, which means giving, giving him the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, we are supposed to be, <clears throat> pardon me, we are supposed to be like Jesus. And so... You know, as far as practical application, looking at people that are that have more money than we do, and by the way, that doesn't have to be the super wealthy. That can be, you know, the friends that, uh, you know, like I have some friends who like recently got out of debt, and it's like, oh, well, I'm not out of debt. Screw them. <laughs> you know, like that. It can be something as easy as that, mm-hmm. and so, um, and that resentment that that one could say bitterness, which I think is what eventually comes of uh, resentment. Like it, I think it does come, I, I, I can speak for, I'll speak for me. And I, but I think this is probably fairly universal. I think it comes from a place of envy. Mm. Uh, and it can be anything, anything that somebody has that you don't have. And just, you can either try to get it somehow, or you can get really mad at that person. Mm. And 
just say, screw them. They probably didn't, you know, and make any kind of accusation as to how they acquired this thing or, right. or whatever. Um, but either way, it comes from this, it comes from a negative place. It comes from, and eventually you'll probably put yourself in a superior position. I mean, if you think about it, if we're actually going to think of other people as people and we're going to say, do that with rich people, unless you know for a fact that they did something evil to get to that point, why on earth would you, would you not like be excited for that person? Why on Mm -hmm. earth would you not say, that's great. I'm so glad that that person can have, you know, these nice things can have this nice car, can live in a nice house, can have a boat, whatever. Yeah. Like if we're only looking at people just as, as Jesus would, as God would, as Mm -hmm. you know, if we're going to look at them that way, then it doesn't it doesn't even make sense for us to be angry at people who have these things, you know. Yeah. Unless, uh, barring like we said, the the fact that they've done something that we know is wrong, that we yeah. know that they've done something we know is wrong to do that. Yeah. Again, even that doesn't give us the excuse to not love them, right? But uh, that that's more of an excuse to at least be upset with them or angry with them. And it, it it can come from a place of like why not me if if it comes yeah. from a, if the, if your if your resentment comes from a place of anger like it's it's what you're ultimately if it comes from a place of, of envy like ultimately you're saying what about me why isn't this happening for me yeah um, I know that for myself um, you know I, I I deal with a great deal of envy a lot of with a, a lot of things it can be abilities it can be education it can be good looks okay pretty much everything uh i i can find a way to feel envious of but what what i'm basically doing when that happens is like if somebody if if somebody's like better looking than i am which is something that i was always when i was growing up i was always very conscious of like uh, no woman's gonna want me because look at this attractive guy and eventually and that quickly turned into a few things. One is me feeling like I was never good enough, including, by the way, not good enough for God, mm-hmm. which is not a good attitude to have. Mm-hmm. But then also, <clears throat> it eventually came to like just assuming, like, eh, that guy's got everything, so he doesn't need my sympathy. He doesn't need my friendship. And if something bad were to befall people, I found myself being like, good. Mm-hmm. Bring them down to our level. Yeah. Like, there's, the, the, and it's like, that is an ugly, ugly feeling yeah uh speaking as someone who has felt that feeling like that's that's not good that's and it's and by the way it's remarkably unchristian yeah um because and by the way the other half of it is if there's someone you envy that means there's someone you don't and if there's someone you don't envy that's probably it's probably because you feel like you're better than they are somehow (laughs) it's like like let's let's go back to like someone who's like good looking it's like it's like oh they're it's like oh i wish i could look like them it's like well what about this person it's like well come on because <laughs> then what you're because then it's just constant comparison mm-hmm. and then you're seeing where you measure up where you're kind of beating this person but you're not quite that person like and it's just to me it almost seems like to use an image it's almost like you're just sitting alone in a room full of papers like david is just sorting through them just trying to make things work out in your favor mm-hmm. and it's just miserable yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and so like and so I, I've got a couple quotes here about uh, envy. Um, one from Bono, lead singer of U2, a band I do not care for. <laughs> um, but uh, 
he says it's very different here in America and this was a few years ago it's very different here in America in America you look up at a mansion on the hill and you say you know one day I'm going to live in that mansion. In Dublin, where we come from, especially on the north side, people look at the mansion on the hill and go, one day I'm going to go get that son of a bitch. And uh, sorry for the language. I know I don't usually uh, say it. If it was worse, if it was slightly worse, I probably would have uh, beeped it or censored it. But uh, but that is true. Like, like It's like what you said is... is you know, you can look at somebody's success and be happy for them. Or if you want to make it a bit more personal, you could say, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And you're not you're not saying screw them for doing it. You're saying I it, it gives you something to aspire to. But often it's just like, screw them. You know what? It, let's 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 be a little bit facetious about it. Oh, they have a boat. I hope one of their kids dies <laughs> like I hope somebody drowns mm-hmm. serves them right. Having that boat. Um, and that's that's facetious, but that's a slightly exaggerated version of what I think people might actually think. And by the way, I do want to emphasize, I'm not speaking abstractly here. Like, everything that I'm talking about is a version, probably a more extreme version, but like a version of things that I have thought and things that I've talked to other people about. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, and then this is something that, I, that we talked about a little bit earlier. There's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. I like to call him Teddy, Josh. That's what Teddy, I call him. Teddy, what is that? Because of the Bears? The Chicago Bears? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go Bears. <laughs> anyway. I'm glad we straightened that I out. I live in Chicago. <laughs> See, I like sports. Anyway, so I recognize that there are the Chicago Bears <laughs> and that people want them to go. All right. So, Theodore Roosevelt. Probably the greatest harm done by vast wealth is the harm that we of moderate means do ourselves when we let the vices of envy and hatred enter deep into our own natures. And what I do like about that is uh, he zigs when you think he's going to zag. And uh, and uh, it's like, oh, the, uh, the greatest harm done by vast wealth. It's like, well, this is not a harm actually done by wealth. This like It's easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, those... Like he's, I feel like that quote he's sort of playing on our natural tendency. It's like, well, no, the we're the ones doing the harm with that mentality, but we could probably still find a way to blame it on wealth if we mm-hmm. wanted to. Yeah. Um, maybe he also doesn't mean it ironically. Teddy Roosevelt was not necessarily a big fan of uh, wealthy people and monopolies, <laughs> but anyway, um, but it is true. Like it's just eventually like this anger and bitterness like unless you're actually actively going to do something to hurt that person which is terrible in itself mm-hmm. like the person you hurt most of all is you yeah um and eventually you can never be happy for someone you can never be happy for yourself because there's always going to be somebody who has more and and you're not and you're not going to want to come to god certainly because god is ultimately the equalizer but in this world some people have more, some people don't. And you're like, that's not, that's not fair. It's like, well, it's fair. Like God is fair spiritually. Yeah. And the, the rich are not going to get like a rich Christian is not going to go to a better heaven than a poor Christian. <laughs> yeah. And so that's so it where it equalizes. Yeah. That's another one of the reasons, another one of the things that should remind us that it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, if someone has more than you do. And so I, so I want to try to wrap up by say that by emphasizing once again that like I'm not saying like hey everybody let's defend the rich they sure are great aren't they like that's not what I'm trying to say I'm trying to say that like you know look for a look for a group that people are not defending mm. like the rich like if you try to come on man Josh was playing with his ring as I always do <laughs> but not when I'm recording at least I wasn't spinning it that's true 
which I always do. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but like, look for a group that people will not defend. And rightfully so. Nazis, <laughs> uh, child molesters, <laughs> like awful people. Now, of course, this is different than the rich because the rich don't haven't necessarily done anything awful. Mm-hmm. But like any group that is indefensible, I'm not saying go out and defend them because sometimes they do things that are indefensible. Mm-hmm. But like God loves them too. He loves them just as much as He loves you. Yeah, not more, not less, just as much. And so knowing that, and it's hard to wrap your mind around. And of course, He doesn't love everything that somebody does, obviously. But like. Try to wrap your mind around that. And if you can, email me and tell me how you did it, um, because I can't. But the more you try to do that, the more you'll realize, like, there's no reason to hate the rich. There's no reason to hate anybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you're just doing damage to yourself if you hate somebody. Yeah. we just, So much of that hatred of the rich, I think, comes from this innate sense that we have that things should be equal. You know, like equality mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a virtue. And um, I think that's true, but I think the place that that comes from within us is a, is a sense that we want everyone to be equal. Uh, I think that comes from God. I think that's part of our nature. Mm-hmm. God uh, sees us all as equal. But... We are. We start to think of things. We want that equality that it comes from a good place, but we want it in earthly terms, which comes from a bad place. So we think that people shouldn't have more money than other people, or we think that like people shouldn't have more opportunities than other people, or be good, more good looking than other people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you ever seriously said to yourself, "It's wrong that some people have money and other people's don't," other people don't, then. In that same way, how ridiculous would it be to yourself if you were to say, I think it's wrong that some people are attractive and some people are not? Um, well, I mean, I've thought that, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Like, the, yeah, the, the, when, when you really think about it, I think those things, those two things are equally baseless. Um, and people tend to, I won't say this is a universal thing, because I think some people actually are willing to sacrifice, but like, people tend not to say that downward. People tend to say in which they would have to give something up so that they're equal with somebody else. Mm-hmm. They tend to say that in a way where I should have more so that and that person should have less. Yeah. Um, and I and by the way, I do want to uh, also say that I recognize that anything we say here could have political connotations, especially when we're talking about equality and that kind of thing. Um, you know, you, you might f- from a practical everyday standpoint, politically, you might fall on the right or the left and and that's that's fine what but basically it doesn't matter what you think about the rich or what you think about like you know uh economic equality like if it is if it has a root in these people are bad simply because they have more and that you don't like them and that you don't sympathize with any of their problems and that you do not see them as human they are they are they lack humanity because they've got all this money that's where that's what we're talking about yeah. that's the problem you can be left or right like i right. I, I lean right but that's you know whatever and and we're really not i mean if you're furious about this right now, we're not talking about policy right right, <laughs> right now we're talking about what your heart's attitude should be towards people yeah um and I, I, even if you even if you think that someone should be through some kind of policy made 
completely unhappy in their lives or, or whatever you think or completely mm-hmm. changed or something like that. You, you, I say go right ahead doing that as long as you're okay loving those people. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like uh, to go back to uh, the episode about um, struck by lightning. Let's let's look at it like this, like from from the point of view of like equality and by all means, like give money to the poor. And if you want to vote in such a way that you think the government should give money to the poor, by all means, do that. At the same time, pray for the rich. Mm-hmm. Pray that they do the right thing with their money. Pray that they that they have good lives as well. Mm-hmm. Like any any again, anybody that you don't like or that you think are just like ah oh, those bunch of jerks. Um, pray for them. Pray that that they feel God's love and that they choose to follow Jesus. Like if you and if you find yourself resistant to that. If you find yourself resistant to the idea that why should these people, and by the way, again, I keep saying by the way, and it's because I keep having thoughts, you know, for like for years there, there have been like when I was, I'll say this is when I was younger. I don't really do this anymore, thankfully. But when I was younger, I mean, there are people that like had everything in my view and I was blind to what I had, by the way. And I had, they had all the toys that you didn't get for Christmas. They had all the toys they had. Okay. Like there was one guy that was homeschooled which i was not a very good student at the time i I was not a very good student and he was homeschooled and part of me was like oh he's got it so much easier than i do (laughs) he was probably a good looking guy and like like girls liked him i was like oh girls don't like me at all stupid braces (laughs) um and and then uh and his family had more money than i did never mind the fact that my dad worked for an oil company and we were doing fine Mm. we were going to do very well Mm. um he had more and i knew it Hmm. And it's just like everything in his life is easy. And on t- and this is where I'm going to this is a this is a bad thing what I'm about to say, but I felt it if only for an instant. I felt it when I was younger. I was like, and on top of all that, he's even a Christian. <laughs> he even has that. I can't even take solace in the fact that I'll go to heaven and he w- like what a horrible way to think. But the, <laughs> but that I think is where that like I think that's where you end up eventually mm-hmm. is literally you would rather feeling that these people they've got something you don't have you would rather have this ultimate trump card yeah and like that is a horrible awful way to think or even even less than that even if you just want to feel like you're equal with them and that like well he he has a bunch of this but i have this mm-hmm. like if, if you were to, if in some weird twisted equation in your mind it, it ended up being like well he has all these rich things but i'm a christian so i went out and like yeah even even if somehow that was how your mind was putting it together like but he, even that is is wrong because we're not thinking of God's terms of equality, like right. equality on his terms, equality in the things that are actually important, the things that actually matter. Yeah. Um, if you think only about equality in terms of looks or wealth or, you know, Star Wars toys. All right. <laughs> I had, I had Rancor. I don't think I did. And I had Jabba. I had Jabba. My, my brother had, uh, the Ewok village. Oh, I wanted that. Yeah, it wasn't that great. So, well, see, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson but, learned. So, um, but Josh, I got this to tell you. What's this is from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Tell me about it. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for, yourse- for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And so, you know, that that's the thing is like, I do want to emphasize again, we're not necessarily defending the rich. We just don't want to demonize the rich. Mm-hmm. And we do want to emphasize that we're not, we're not even talking about being pro wealth. Like if someone yeah. wants to be, wants to be wealthy, great. But ultimately that doesn't matter. Yeah. Being poor doesn't matter. Being rich doesn't matter. And then I'll, I'll say this real quick. Romans three twenty three. I've said it before. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, there's your equalizer. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, poor, black, white, male, female. It doesn't matter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. There, there it is. And so if you if you find your treasure with God and His forgiveness and His love, then you have the only thing that's going to continue. And. If somebody if somebody has like all this wealth, like you can, and you don't, you can take comfort in what you in what you have, not in a spiteful way, like I have it and they don't, but like and and if you have that, then you will adopt a Christ like attitude. If you really do have Jesus in your heart and He is your treasure, and once again, if you find a way to make this work all the time for you, email me Tyler more than one lesson dot com, and so. But if you really do have that, and then your wealthy friend that you've been really envious of, probably the envy will start to go away, by the way. But if they become a Christian, your attitude will be wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's great. As opposed to, really, they have to have that, too. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. So what we're talking about, of course, it's not... It's about something bigger than, are rich people good or bad, or is wealth good or bad, or... Should the wealthy pay more in taxes? Like it's it's about bigger things than that. It's about it, it's about where we are internally in how we approach certain people, including people that our modern culture say are they are perfectly okay to despise. And you can, and by the way, you can watch you can watch the Queen of Versailles, and you might think these people are awful, and be like, oh, they are so spoiled and they're so childish. God still loves them. They still have their problems, same as you do. They're still people, and you need to treat them as such, as do I. All right. I think that's where we are going to leave off. Um, all right, real quick. Uh, next week, um, we will. Uh, there will be a mini-sode in which we talk about my eighth favorite movie of all time. Which uh, What oh, was that? Never mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that episode's already been recorded, so Josh just got a little confused. Um it's hard to keep track of sometimes when you do things totally out of order. Yeah, you know. But, um, but yeah, so you can go and listen to that. Um, once again, I do want to say uh, go to morethanonelesson.com, click on Help Will Gray, and, you know, be praying for him and Angie and, you know, give money where you can because they, they do use it. It's, it goes to everyday uh, costs. So, anyway... Um, and at morethanonelesson.com, there are a number of blogs that you can read, including uh, discussions of Reed's favorite movies of all time. Um, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can find us on Facebook and uh, become part of the group. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash morelessons. And you can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. So uh, thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. Oh, yeah. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.